0: Happy Easter season, everyone, and welcome to our weekend podcast. This Sunday is Palm Sunday, the anniversary of the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Today, Friday, and next Sunday, we'll be retelling the story of Jesus' last week on earth. This week is often called Holy Week or Passion Week, and is a time when Christians reflect on the events in Jesus' life and ministry leading up to his death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection. We know that this week was a spiritual roller coaster of events for many of Jesus' early followers. On Palm Sunday, Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem to the welcoming shouts of the crowds. By Friday afternoon, he'd been crucified and buried. But on Sunday morning, he was raised from the dead, defeating sin, Satan, and death. This morning, we're going to read from two main passages of Scripture. Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32, and then Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to both of these passages and then just hold your place. The first one that we're going to read from is Mark fifteen, sixteen through 32. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe, and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who is from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus's cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries or criminals were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. This time of year there are always questions that come up or questions that arise about Christianity, and more specifically, questions about the cross, questions about the crucifixion. I don't know if this is something that you encounter in your life, but I hear and read about some important questions during this time of year. So today, I'd like to answer some questions about the crucifixion. We'll spend our time addressing three important questions. The first question that I'd like to address is this. What does the cross or the crucifixion mean to you? This is an important question. I'm not asking, what does the cross mean to your church, to your family, to your spouse? I'm asking, what does the cross mean to you? The second question is, did the crucifixion really happen? And the last question that we'll look at today is this, what does the crucifixion mean in scripture? So question number one, if you're taking notes, what does the cross mean to you? Tim LaHaye was a Baptist minister who wrote more than 85 books. That's a lot of books. He wrote both fiction and nonfiction. In one of his books, Power of the Cross, he talks about doing street interviews with random people about the cross. He would look for people who were wearing a cross or people who had a cross somewhere on their person. And when he approached an individual, he would ask two questions. One, why do you wear a cross? And two, What does the cross mean to you? I'm going to be honest with you. I think I'd be nervous if I had to walk up to a complete stranger and ask these questions. I mean, what if they were offended or embarrassed or what if they got violent with me? Well, surprisingly, no one was offended by his questions and they all seemed pretty eager to give an answer. Uh, One woman in a restaurant said, I saw the cross that I'm wearing hanging in a gift shop. I thought it was pretty, and I decided to buy it because it was 50% off, so she got a deal on hers. (laughs) When asked what the cross meant to her, she said, it means that I'm a religious person. Another woman, not a churchgoer, but a self-proclaimed Christian, said, I wear a cross to stand out because it's a beautiful piece of jewelry. So that's what the cross meant to her. There was a young clerk in a store who was wearing a gold cross and a gold chain, and she said, my boyfriend gave it to me. I, I love him, and I wear it because it reminds me of him. Finally, there was a young man that Tim spoke with on a plane uh, who wore a really large silver cross around his neck. Uh, this guy said that uh, my grandma gave it to me, and I'm going to visit her this weekend. I knew she would expect me to wear it, but it means absolutely nothing to me. This is what the cross meant to these people. I'd like to go back to my original question. What does the cross mean to you? You know, the cross was rarely used as a symbol or a decoration until three to four hundred years after the time of Christ. C.S. Lewis once said, the crucifixion did not become common art until all who had seen a real one died off. Yeah, you know, I think there's a reason for that. The cross was rarely used as a symbol or a decoration because everyone knew that it was one of the most horrible and shameful deaths that a person could experience. If you witnessed a crucifixion, or if it was still a mode of execution today, you probably wouldn't see very many people decorating their houses with crosses, using them as bumper stickers, or wearing them around their neck. One exception where we see a cross being used as a decoration early on is in what's called the House of St. Peter in the archaeological site of Capernaum, Many historians believe that this was the home of Peter and is where Jesus may have stayed when he was in Capernaum. After the resurrection, it's likely that Peter's home became a gathering place for Christians. The house of St. Peter has some graffiti-like crosses on the walls and would be an early representation of people using a cross as decoration. But other than that, there's really not too many examples for at least three to 400 years after the time of Christ. If I were to ask the average Christian what the cross means to them, I think a lot of people would say that Jesus died or was crucified on the cross for my sins. Anytime we talk about the death of Jesus, the phrase, the crucifixion, must be used. Even if it's uncomfortable to talk about. It's the right way to talk about it because that's how Jesus was killed. If you think about it, the crucifixion is a universally recognized signifier. For example, if you say the word crucifixion, most people, even non churchgoers non-Christians, they'll understand that you're talking about Jesus' death. People know what you mean when you say the word crucifixion. Jesus' death isn't the only famous death that people talk about. People talk about how John F. Kennedy died by assassination. But we don't say the word assassination and automatically think about JFK, at least not everybody. Marie Antoinette died by guillotine. Now, we don't say the word guillotine and automatically think about her. Um, she was a, a terrible French queen, by the way. You can go and look her up if you don't know much about her. And then Cleopatra, another famous person who died, um, allegedly died from snake venom. But we don't say the phrase snake bite and automatically think about Cleopatra. Now, even though there would have been thousands upon thousands of crucifixions, When someone uses the phrase, the crucifixion, we still think about Jesus on the cross. So I go back to my first question. What does the cross or the crucifixion mean to you? My hope and my prayer is that the crucifixion of Jesus will have a deeper meaning for you after the message today. As we gather on Good Friday and as we celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. The second important question is this, did the crucifixion really happen? You know, oddly enough, despite all the history that we have about the crucifixion, even secular history, there's still a lot of people who doubt that it really happened. Well, to help answer this question, we need to first look at the New Testament writings. In the New Testament, the cross is referenced at least 28 times, and the word crucifixion is mentioned at least 53 times. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each devoted about one-third of their writing to Jesus' last week on earth leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's easy to see that these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they believed that the crucifixion really happened. They were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. Outside of the four gospels, the apostle Paul was adamant about the crucifixion event. Paul wrote some of the most definitive statements about the cross. One of those statements is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul wrote these words, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. You know, Paul isn't just giving a statement of historical fact here. It's more like an announcement of the living reality that Something happened at the crucifixion that forever transforms the lives of those who believe in and follow Jesus. He says the message of the cross is foolish to a lot of people. He goes on to say in verse 23 that when we preach about the crucifixion of Jesus, a lot of people are going to be offended. It's going to be a stumbling block for a lot of people. Friends, the society that we live in tends to laugh at the idea that lives can be eternally transformed by the message of the cross, by the good news of Jesus. Both religious people and the non-religious elite in Paul's day snubbed their noses at the idea of a crucified person being important, much less God. But Paul said, "...the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction." But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Friends, this was true in Paul's day, and it's still true in our day today. Now, For people who are looking for God, the message of the cross has great power to transform us, to forgive us, and to give us hope. In the very next chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about the crucifixion again. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 2, he wrote, For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And this is a radical statement. You have to wonder, why did Paul have to write to the church explaining to them and reminding them about the importance of the cross, the importance of the crucifixion? It's kind of like the church had forgotten the main thing. And Paul was having to remind them. Can you imagine explaining your faith to a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, and doing so in just two words, the crucifixion? What if you explained your faith by saying, the only thing that I think about or talk about or think is important is the crucified Jesus? That's essentially what Paul is saying here when he said that I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. He's encouraging the church to do the same, to get back to keeping the main thing, the main thing. Paul reminds us that the crucifixion is a central truth of our faith in Jesus. I think all Christians understand that the resurrection is foundational to our faith, and it absolutely is. Without the resurrection, everything else is a lie. But it's important that we recognize that Jesus didn't get to Easter Sunday without first going through Palm Sunday and Good Friday. It's important that we don't gloss over the crucifixion. Friends, let's face it. We love to talk about Christmas. You know, the incarnation of God. It's one of my favorite times of year. I love the music. I love the decorations, the the food. We love to talk about Christmas. We also love to talk about the ministry of Jesus. the, The miracles, the parables, and the compassion of Jesus. We love to talk about the resurrection, how Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death. Yet Paul reminds us that the crucifixion should also be a main talking point. It's so big and so important that it should stand out as we live our lives for Jesus and share Christ with others. Paul said, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Here at OCC, we believe that the events that are described in the New Testament about the crucifixion of Jesus are historical events. We believe that they really happened. And if something like the crucifixion is so important to God in his word, then it should be important to us as well. Oswald Chambers once said that all heaven is interested in the cross of Christ. All hell is terribly afraid of it, while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning church let's not be guilty of ignoring the meaning of the crucifixion this leads us to our third and final question what does the crucifixion mean in scripture for this question i'd like for us to turn our attention to romans chapter 5 verses 6 through 11 in this short passage the apostle paul gives us the meaning of the crucifixion it's a pretty awesome passage beginning in verse 6 this is what he writes For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want to share three important truths with you about the crucifixion that come directly from this passage. These are truths that I want to encourage you to think about or ponder this week. As we prepare our hearts for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday. The first truth about the crucifixion is this. The crucifixion exposes good and evil. So how does the crucifixion expose good and evil? How does this passage teach that? Well, there are four words that Paul uses to describe humans in this passage. And we read these words in verses 6, 8, and 10. The first word is the word powerless powerless. Verse 6 says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless. This verse reminds us that we were powerless. Uh, The word powerless means morally weak, unable to help or save ourselves, and unable to understand the truths of God at just the right time when we were still powerless. Uh, The second word is in the same verse. It's the word ungodly, ungodly, The entire verse says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This word can also mean evildoers. Now, we don't like to think about ourselves as evildoers. We don't like to call other people evildoers, especially if it's a friend, a family member, a relative. You know, the society that we live in likes to teach the exact opposite of this verse. Society says that humans are intrinsically good. And I even see this kind of teaching. Uh, making its way into the church at times. That's not what God says. That's not what the Bible teaches. God says that we were evildoers. King David said it in Psalm 14, verse 1. He says, there is none who do good. Isaiah echoed this truth in Isaiah 53, verse 6. Jeremiah said the same thing in Jeremiah 2, 13. And Paul reiterated it in Romans 3, verse 10. He says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Christ died for the ungodly. The third word is the word sinners. Uh, sinners. Verse 8 says, while we were still sinners. And This is another way of saying that we have all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of God's perfect and holy standard. And Jesus didn't die after we all got our acts together. He died while we were at our very worst so that we could be made right with God through him. Romans 3.22, an amazing verse says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't get simpler than that. To while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The fourth word is the word enemies, enemies. Verse 10 reminds us that the crucifixion took place while we were enemies of God. It was while Jesus was hanging on the cross that he looked at those who had nailed him to the cross, those who were mocking him, and he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The entire verse, Romans 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The crucifixion exposes the goodness of God and the evil of humanity. It's while we were still in that condition that Jesus was crucified. A second important truth about the crucifixion in scripture is that um, we need help getting back to God. And we can't do that ourselves. So if you're taking notes, you can write down the crucifixion ensures substitution for our lives. It ensures substitution for our lives. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Joseph Mitchell was an author living in New York in the early 2000s, and he told a group from his home church, Grace Church, about a conversation that he had had with his dying sister at her bedside. She was dying from cancer. Um, his sister asked him, she said, Joseph, does Jesus's death on the cross a long time ago have to do with my life today? What does it have to do with my sins today? Well, Joseph and author who normally had all the words he struggled to find the right words but finally he responded by saying somehow he was our representative somehow he was our representative friends what do you say when you're going through life storms or wrestling with doubt and you wonder what is the crucifixion of Jesus what is the cross of Christ have to do with my life right now I think Joseph's answer is one that we should all remember. Somehow, he was our representative. He did it instead of me. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah captures in one verse the truth that all humans sin against God and that only God can cover our sins through the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 53.6 says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. I know that sin is not a feel-good subject. We don't like to talk about sin. But I think in an effort to become more appealing, we often soften the way we talk about the sin in our own lives and the need for our sins to be paid for in some way. 20th century writer A.W. Tozer once said that we need preachers who preach that hell's still hot Heaven's still real, sin's still wrong, and the Bible is God's Word. God's Word explains that our sin must be paid for, and that Jesus paid the price on the cross to reconcile us to God, to bring us back to God, to forgive us. The language that he uses while hanging on the cross is language of payment, it's, it's accounting language. See, when Jesus cried out his last words, when he said, It is finished. He used an accounting word that literally means paid in full. He was saying, it's paid in full. Jesus paid the price for us. He substituted himself for us. He took the punishment for our sins. The crucifixion ensures substitution for our lives. Well, Romans 5 gives us one more truth about the crucifixion. And this is also in verse 8. And that is that the crucifixion is love demonstrated. The crucifixion is love demonstrated. I want to read Romans 5, 8 one more time. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Soon after Jesus was nailed to the cross, very early on in the crucifixion account, he says something incredible. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus had been forgiving people of their sins all throughout his earthly ministry. He forgave sin while he was hanging on the cross, and he offers that same forgiveness to anyone who will put their faith in him today. This was Jesus demonstrating real love in action. Throughout his earthly ministry, he touched a leper, always demonstrated compassion for those who were hurting, and mourned when one of his best friends died. What else but a heart consumed with love would cause someone to say, Father, forgive them, because they just don't know what they're doing. The cross is a demonstration of God's love that makes grace real and available to all people who believe in Jesus. So what should we take away from these passages and from the reality of Jesus' death on the cross? Here's what I hope you'll do today and this week. Thank him for the crucifixion. Thank him for taking your place thank him for demonstrating his love First corinthians 1 corinthians 1:18 the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction but we who are being saved know it is the very power of god